0: Well, I wanna welcome everybody once again to all of our clergy series for this summer. God is leading me to share this. Well, we're gonna fill in the blank of the this because each one of our clergy that have been assigned uh, the, to speak for the summer are gonna get up and give us maybe just five to seven minutes of what God is calling them to share with us. And then the rest of the clergy are gonna interact with them. And then the clergy that I've asked to speak In just a moment, who's going to come up is uh, one of our amazing guys, you know, our pastoral clergy team from uh, the decade of the 30s to the decade of the 70s. And we're about to bring you all good old school decade of the 70s, our friend, our pastor our brother in the Lord from Owens Mills, Town campus. One who has been a senior pastor for over 35 years of his, other ch- of his own church. He was a, he's got all kinds of degrees. He's Reverend, doctor, brother, leader. <laughs> Steve Hardnett. Let's give it up for Steve, y'all.
1: Thank you, Dr. Anderson and to the crew here. This message challenged my heart and also a burden to my heart because the church had been too silent. Especially during this time of crisis and pandem- pandemic I'll title it, walking as children of the light from Ephesians 5 verses 13 and 14. I read the first verse of that. But everything exposed by the light become visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. My question to you today and myself, how bright is your bulb? And is your light shining? If there were ever a time we need the light of the world, it is now. Social unrest, racial injustice, economic disparity, family breakdown, global warming, and political mayhem. God has commissioned us to be children of the light and to shine. The Bible says that we are to let our light so shine. The church has been silent too long. When the light of God shines, it exposes evil, either in us as believers or the world. As evil is exposed, it causes us to take action. The time for apathy and complacency has passed. We have been called into battle. I remember Dr. Anderson, the old song that was sung back some years ago, gospel song says, it's time to put on our war clothes it's time to take a stand. How bright we shine in the world depend on a process of scripture calling the renewing of our minds. We have been delivered, according to Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 12, from the darkness of this world and the disobedience of ungodliness. So we should should be asking ourselves this afternoon, how bright is your bulb? A couple of things I want to share with you real quick. The purpose of the light when a light bulb does not shine, it leaves a city in darkness. When the light of a lighthouse goes out, a ship would not be able to navigate safely to shore. So it is with the world that is in darkness. They will lose their way. Don't we see it? They will end up shipwrecked. The light does not bring change, but it shows you how to navigate in the right direction. We are the GPS's of the world. How is your system working on your job, at your home, in school? The pathway of light, it provides the direction in which to go. The Bible says, in all our ways, submit to him, and your path will be made straight. To make one path straight does not only refer to guidance and direction, but God also removes the obstacles and make the path straight till we can reach our goal. The Bible says in John 10:10 10, 10, that God's enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing that very well. The protection of the light. Light protects us from the perils that come before us because of darkness. Under the cover of darkness, crime increases and people lose their way. Confusion abounds. And there is no sense of direction or purpose. Life does not make sense. Does this sound like our society today? Ephesians 5.14 tells us that, therefore, we to wake up. Let's wake up. Application. Number one, when we wake up, we come to a spiritual consciousness. We should be conscious spiritually of what's going on around us. The things God, the things of this world are foolishness to The things of God are foolish to the world, but to us, we have the mind of Christ. The world is watching how we respond to the situations around us. What does the watching world see when they see us and observe me and you? Do people change when we show up? Let me give you an illustration. There are two things that operate in temperature. A thermometer has been designed to display whatever the temperature is in the room. But a thermostat was designed to control the temperature in the room, in the atmosphere. What we as children of God and our lights of the world, we should be thermostats. That when we show up, things change. In closing, we need to power up. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. God has called us to a mission impossible. We can only accomplish this mission through supernatural, earth-shadowing, heaven-driven, God-power, Holy Spirit. Hmm. Cannot and will not do it in the flesh. I cannot love my enemies without the power of the Holy Spirit. I cannot forgive those who harm me or discriminate me against me because of the color of my skin without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can, however, do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We cannot fake showing up. There's nothing worse than a believer missing in action. Talk is cheap. The game is not won in the huddle. It is won out in the field where we are take hard knocks. Jesus said in Matthew 5.15, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that all can see and a house has light. Which bowl are you hiding under today? People are tired of more promises, cheap talk, empty speeches, and delayed political promises. We, as children of light, need to be present at the table, show up, so God can show off my question to you in the watching world as a, uh, to the church, as I say, in the watching world, how bright is your bulb?
0: Mm. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Let me have those notes. <laughs> Take two minutes and tell me why we supposed to be children of the light. Go.
1: Well, number one, we've been called and commissioned by God. We've been commissioned in Acts 1.8 to go out and be witnesses in the world and let people know who Jesus is.
0: Why'd you do this message?
1: Because I've seen, um, I'm uh, deja vu. I've seen the promises. I heard the promises. Uh, I've seen the, uh, the marches. I experienced the, all of the drama, all the political rhetoric. I passed a 35 years in an uh, area in my city. Uh, And uh, we were promised money, economic empowerment and better schools and all that. And the money went elsewhere. And over 40 years of promises, same old stuff, same old dilapidated communities, crime, you know, uh, discrimination, injustices, uh, 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 non-political reform in our prison system. It just I haven't seen change.
0: So you've seen this. I've seen this. Before.
1: Before. you have been here before.
0: And now you're seeing it again. How does it make you feel? And then I'll let the rest respond. Thank you. That was a good word. Thank and We're going to respond to that word. But I want to hear, hear from your heart as well, from your studies, because you're a professor. And uh, we learned a lot. Uh, but I want to know uh, not only what you learned from the scriptures, but what you learned from your life, because you're walking, uh, you're a walking testimony. And yet you're in a multicultural church, and you've been in Baptist churches, and you've been in um, city churches, and you've gone through so much, and yet you're here, and God is using you. So I, I want to know from your experience what you've been feeling.
1: Well, Dr. Anderson, I, I would say that it goes both ways. I was raised in a family an inner city ghetto of Philadelphia, poor child, though I was poor. We had everything we wanted, but we were taught even in the midst of the Uh, racial discrimination and the uh, feeling uh, marginalized. We had to still respect authority. We still had to study, work hard, achieve, you know. Uh, But what got me along was I was able to communicate across racial barriers. I had, I I can talk that, Hey boy, hi. What's happening, man? You got it. We cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> you had that down. I had that down. <laughs> uh, I can talk. you don't know uh, the more white language. <laughs> I know where I can operate in both cultures because I was raised in both cultures. So we need to have the conversation. We need both to show up to the at the table and and, and be real with this thing. We don't need to talk stuff you want. Think you want me to hear. We need to talk stuff that's real and be honest. Pastor, my want prayers. one day be able to sit down with true hardcore KKK guys and have a conversation.
0: You wanna do that? I'd like to do it. I might be able to help you. I'd like to do it. Mm-hmm. All right, what do y'all think?
1: Anything? I thought. uh Thank you so much for the message. I love that scripture. And what I'm encouraged by, um, connected to your word, is how in Ephesians 5, It uses words like, it says, you know, once you were this, Mm -hmm. but now you are this. Uh, Not like you will be. He says that once we were in darkness, but now we are full of light. So thinking about how bright is our bulb, knowing as a person that follows Christ that we've already been given the light. We don't have to wait for it till we die or go look for it. That's already given to us. Um, And then the scripture says that that light produces only what is good and right and true. And I think, I know for me, hearing your, your word, it's a motivation to trust the light of Christ inside of me um, to, to just take the next step because it will be good. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, Nikki, I think too, the demarcation of this, of the society is because the church has gone to sleep. Mm. Our light's not bright, shining bright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're the salt, we the light of the world, Yeah, we are.
2: Oh, sure. Pastor Steve, you spoke from a wealth of experience. You, you've been here and experienced this before. What would you encourage with, uh, us with that we could do so we're not 30 years down the road saying we've been here before? Is, is there a word of encouragement or a word of challenge uh, of, of action that could be done differently?
1: We have to make things happen by doing things. We, 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 can, we need to have a conversation. Comprehension becomes with a conversation, but we also got to begin to move forward in some uh, tangible way, working together to make things happen. It's not going to happen by osmosis, we got to get in there, and it's going to be risky, it's going to cost us some pain, and it's going to be pushback. But we got to get in there and begin to do the work. The church got to begin to do the work, yeah,
3: Pastor Harnett. Yes, sir. Uh, I, have, I have two comments to make. One is a question. Another one is the, just to how I feel about the church. Uh, first question is, it sounds like from your message, the gospel lose credibility when we don't have a justice. When there is no justice, then there is no gospel. Yes. It seems like we have been somewhat neglecting that. Right. Tom's going to
1: point it out clearly when he said about the church even mm-hmm. uh, propagating or, or fostering mm-hmm. this slavery and it's a shame to us and it's embarrassment to know that you know the church and the, you know is behind that
3: yeah a lot of evangelical churches behind yeah. the love of god but never looking into a justice of god right. and i i could i could sense that yes. just a comment second uh, point is that do you feel like our church is changing I mean I've been coming to a church for five years Bridgeway finally I'm on the staff thank God (laughs) But uh, (laughs) um, you know you talk about the thermostat you talk about the the temperature in the room Um, I think that last week's sermon by Dr. Anderson I, I, I think that he turned on the thermostat way up for he our did. church. And I feel it. I feel something is happening. Do you, do you feel that way?
1: Yeah. That's why I'm here. I've been here nine years now. And I'm here because I, not just to be here, but because I have a, a, a conviction of being here. And I thank I thank for our pastor who makes a stand, even when it's risky, and speak up. And that's what I'm saying in my message. The church have to speak up. We are the light. And if we don't shine, the world gonna go to hell in a handbasket.
3: I mean I want to protect my pastor, but I think that he took a courage and and, and speaking up for the justice. Yes. I think it, it matters. Yes. It really matters.
0: Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Uh, pastor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. He taught us about light. Mm. I love it. Well, I can't wait to bring Pastor Dan Taylor up. He's been with me almost from the very beginning. If our church is 29, I don't know. He's probably been here 28 and a half. (laughs) I don't know. I can't wait to bring him up. And um, I need everybody to know I love this white man. (laughs) We sat on the steps of some church in Chicago, probably in our 20s somewhere. And I invited him to move his life out which was really his wife um, Lori and they moved to start a small groups ministry and I don't know he's probably done every ministry since then but the fact that uh, you know his little boy Stephen was in a crib with uh, my little boy Isaiah and now to see both of those little boys are (laughs) they're they're, uh, grown adults in their mid-20s now and uh, Stephen and his wife are on our staff and Uh, Dan and Lori mean the world to us. So Pastor Dan, if you'd be so kind to come up and give us a word, we're all listening.
2: Thanks. Well, I've been teaching the Bible since the sixth grade. Um, So roughly about 45 years or so. Um, So you think I would have learned something By doing that. (laughs) Um, But as I was getting ready for today and working with my passage, I already had an idea of what I thought the passage was about. And if you don't really know, that's a bad idea. Because when you start, and if you're intellectually honest, and you start looking at a passage of scripture, and it'll begin to jack up the idea that you brought preconceived to it. And then God has a way of messing with you to bring out a truth that actually hits you closer to home than you were really expecting. And you would think I would have known this by now, but I'm still learning it that um, I can have amazing spiritual shallowness sometimes. But what I discovered is I came to my text because I wanted to see something and that's what I wanted to have. But God had something for me to hear that was different than what I wanted to see. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 18. Um, We're going to look at Matthew 18. It's a very interesting passage. If you know anything about Matthew, um, it's primarily made up of these five discourses that Jesus has done. You're familiar with the first one because it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7. Well, in 18, it is the beginning of the fourth discourse in the book of Matthew, and it goes from chapter 18, chapter 19, and chapter 20. But notice how it starts out in verse 1, because this is the question that the whole discourse is going to be dealing with and answering through the whole, those three chapters. And it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Chapters 18, chapters 19, chapter 20 is going to deal with that question. And the interesting thing is, if you look at the parallel passages to Matthew, they had been arguing about this, you know, discussing it, like some couples talk about they're having a discussion. They're having an argument about who was greatest in the kingdom, and they wanted Jesus to settle the matter. Now, Jesus doesn't leave them hanging for an answer to the question he kind of takes what I would call a spiritual two by four and smacks them right upside the head. Look at his answer starting in verse two. He, Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now understand in this answer that he gives them in verse 2 he's talking to his own disciples and he's telling them if you don't come in to the kingdom of heaven like a little child notice his words you will never enter the kingdom of heaven do you want to know what the greek means right there never (laughs) i mean that had to be quite i mean the disciples in their conversations beforehand were kind of like you know who gets the corner office and who gets the best parking space and who's going to have their own private secretary. And Jesus is like, you're not coming into the building. You're not part of it yet. Because until you change, one well, of the key words here, he said, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He takes their idea and turns it totally on its head. And he does it by bringing this living, breathing illustration of a little child and puts this child right in the middle of everything that's going on. Now, the word that's used for child is a child that's very small, three, four, five, at the most seven years old. And he uses this child sitting there, standing among them, as this illustration of what we are supposed to be. And then Jesus drives the point deeper in verse four. He says, therefore, whoever. Now, up to this point, we've been talking about the disciples. And Jesus begins to change the vocabulary. It's not just about the disciples and the little child anymore. It is whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's their answer. If you want the cliff notes for Matthew 18 through 20, this is it. And the rest of this discourse is about unpacking what that means. Now, I want you to notice a few things about verse four. Who is doing the humbling? Is God doing the humbling? Nope. Is Jesus doing the humbling? Well, a little bit right now, but not really. It says, whoever humbles himself, like this little child, is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I wanna be clear, Jesus isn't setting up some new works salvation to get you into the kingdom. What he is saying is that people who are a part of the kingdom already have a humble spirit to them. It's not everything about this child that Jesus points out that's so great. What he points out to is his humility. Whoever humbles a child, children have no power, no authority, no cachet, no influence. That's why he says, whoever is greatest like this child... Because they're looking for power. Jesus is looking for humility to be the characteristic of his office. And you're like, well, if I want to be humble, how do I do it? It's really simple. It's the next verse. And whoever, there's that word again, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And again, he's pointing out to the disciples, they're on the outside looking in. They think they're on the inside, and they're not. Because where humility gets exercised and seen is who do you welcome in? By who do you welcome in? Think of it this way who are you glad to see? And who are you not so glad to see? But Jesus isn't done. In verse 5, he tells us what we should do. In verse 6, he tells us what we shouldn't do. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the ocean. Not only is he saying you should be welcoming them, you should never harm them. And the picture Jesus paints of what should happen to anyone that harms a child is pretty stark and pretty severe. Now, they're going to put up pictures of what a millstone looks like, but in our modern terms, it would be, it'd be like taking a Mini Cooper, strapping a harness to it with a, with a line to it, and pushing it over the ocean, and you going with it. Just the idea of what that experience would be like is horrifying. And that's Jesus' point he's saying you should be horrified to hurt any of these little ones, horrified. And that's what Jesus thinks when he talks about what these disciples are going to do and what greatness looks like. Greatness is not just about welcoming, it's, not, it's also about not harming. Now, I want you to understand that in this context, he's not just talking about children. And that was the hard part for me because that's what I wanted it to be. Um, But I love what um, Timothy Keller has to say, if I can find it, hang on. He says, when you read through this, you were saying, okay, little child, little ones, they're the same, not quite. Because the Greek word for little ones is actually a word that can mean anyone who is weak, anyone who is marginal, anyone who has little power, In anyone who is poor. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He says, the way you know you have true greatness is that you are very open, very interested, and very willing to engage people at the bottom of the social ladder. Now, this doesn't eliminate children as Jesus' subject. He weaves both of these things in, both the people that are marginalized and are powerless, as well as children. And those of us who've been pastors for a while, we've heard horror stories of the impact of what abuse of children have done to grown adults. We've had people in their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, and I'm working with someone right now in their 70s. And that the reason Jesus uses that image is because How damaging it is. And people carry those scars for decades. That's why Jesus uses this image of such a horrible way to treat someone who's a violator. Is that they tie this millstone and throw them into the deepest part of the sea. Because he knows that if they would do that that is better. He actually uses the word it's better than any harm you could ever cause a child, and by the way, anyone else who has is marginalized, has no voice, and in the culture and the things that we 're dealing with in our in the United States right now, this is coming to uh, haunt the American church even more because just imagine this idea that if we would do anything or be engaged in anything that's systemic that would harm People who are marginalized, we're the ones that should be going overboard. So I learned that what was going on in this passage is way bigger than what I thought. I thought it was just about kids, and it is about kids. And kids matter to the heart of God greatly because they are the ones that can get harmed the quickest and the easiest. But it's more than that. Jesus wants to know, who are you going to be welcoming into your home, Welcoming into your life, being a part of who you are. Humility is not a Bible study. Humility is what you do and who do you welcome. And it also means that you have this amazing care of never to harm.
0: Wow, Pastor. Thank you. To welcome and never to harm is what greatness looks like, not power uh, and position. Any response or thought or question for Pastor Dan? Because I'm about speechless.
2: I'm intrigued at the double offense. Not only do we harm the child, but then we stand and point the finger at the child and say, how could you behave this way? Correct. When we really have been the cause of the reaction that we're seeing. And I'm taking it into the present thing that we're seeing in this, in this country. So it's, we're, we're doubly convicted. And yeah. we don't understand words that are so simple or easy for us to say. For children, when they take them in, it can, mm. it can put an identity mark on them that they carry for the rest of their life. And so we have to be really, really careful. Yes.
1: Pastor Dan, can you talk about what healing looks like?
2: What healing looks like. So, well, the first thing I would say, it's not a verse and a prayer. Um, Stephen Arterburn, in his book, um, Changes That Heal, um, or I'm sorry, it's Healing is a Choice, he talks about the, the hard thing is it is people that harm us, and it's actually people that we need to heal us. You know, and he makes it really clear in the very beginning of that book, it can't just be you and Jesus. That's not how it works. It's because people that have done the harm, we need healthy, safe people to be able to help heal us. And it's those kind of healthy relationships that begin to get people to open up because the issue is they don't feel safe. And so when we create a safe place for people to begin to tell us their story, that's where healing starts.
1: Pastor Dan. Yeah. You got me thinking about
2: who I'm happiest or most pleased, proudest to have as a friend. Um, And that's not really a question. That's I'm just telling you, that's how it's hit me. And maybe you've thought about that. Maybe you have a a comment about that. I don't know. Maybe you thought about that. But in terms of just when you talk about who you want, who you like to welcome, that's kind of how that resonated with me. Well, I mean, a little bit of the context is Jesus is challenging the disciples because they only want to interact with people that are going to help their greatness. Mm -hmm. Those are the only people they want to interact with. And so children, forget it, because they have no influence, no power, and Jesus just turns that idea on their head. So it's important to understand your motivation for relationship. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to say is, you know, I'm not saying people of power and influence and authority and financial uh, have a lot of financial capital to them, I'm not saying dump them because that would be doing the exact same thing that Jesus just said don't do. You're still supposed to be welcoming, but just be careful of the motivation of why you have the relationships that you have. And make sure that your world is big enough to let people in that have nothing to offer you. Except for who they are, yeah, like a little child.:
0: Wow, thank you so much, Pastor Dan. You've given us uh, so much uh, to think about, to pray about. you know Jesus could have given that same lesson in a synagogue where there'd be no children, and yet he did it where the children were in the crowd, and the proximity of the powerful and the powerless living together really the, the gracism and the responsibility falls on those that have the power uh, to protect those uh, and to lift up those who don't have the power and to stand with those who don't have the power. Thank you so much. You know, in this entire series for these weeks we've been in, I mean, we've, we've heard about the beloved community and, and we've heard about our spiritual ancestry, how we're so connected. Uh, we've learned that we're supposed to be children of light, the purpose of the light, the, the the protection of the light and what light does when it's not put under a bushel or a bowl and the kind of church and the kind of followers of Jesus that God has called us to be. And we also learned that we, uh, if we really wanna be great, if we really wanna be like Jesus, if we wanna reflect the kingdom of God, then we've gotta be people who welcome others, who commit to not harming others, others and who humble ourselves uh, and not just uh, somehow thinking that we're better than other people. And Jesus did just that. He, he humbled himself. He became obedient uh, even to a cross death. But there was a promise in that text as well. And it says, uh, yes, he may have humbled himself, but therefore God will exalt him. And so we wait for God to do the exalting. We just do the, the loving, don't we? Now listen, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there wouldn't be a better time to, to humble yourself than now. Uh, God is a gentleman and he's not going to wrestle you down and make you uh, receive him. He's telling you his arms are wide open and he's welcoming you. He promises he will never harm you. He'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. In fact, if you come to him humbly like a child, he will receive you and take care of you, not just today, but for the rest of your eternity. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you can pray like this and say, dear God, I'm humbling myself right now. I'm coming before you and I'm asking you to welcome me into your family. I want to be a child of God. Forgive me for my sins and I place my faith and my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, just go ahead and text us, if you will. Text the word, fill me, F-I-L-L-M-E, and let us know you prayed the prayer to receive Christ. And somebody will follow up with you, maybe give you a call or send you some information or shoot you uh, an email or something like that, just so you can grow in your faith. Well, guess what? We're not done. That's right. We've got more clergy from Bridgeway Community Church that are gonna drop a word on you, for you, and maybe God will use it in you and begin to work through you. So don't you go anywhere. I can't wait to learn more from the clergy members of Bridgeway Community Church.